Hello, you're listening to Sarah McCoy, and this is Session 4 of Stress Management, a weekly podcast on biblical character traits that help people cope with difficult trials. I've been a Bible teacher at Owasso First Assembly in Owasso, Oklahoma, for 40 years, and I love the way that God's Word shows itself practical to today, time after time. In this fourth installment, we will examine the role of diplomacy in stress management, first as it is demonstrated in the Old Testament story of Abigail and David, and then as it is affirmed in verses from the Old Testament and New. So come with me now to about 1000 BC. It is towards the end of the reign of the first of the Jews' kings, King Saul. He's a Benjamite. He's been on the throne maybe 37 years. And God has already rejected him because he has been disobedient. It's just that he's still reigning. He has become very threatened by young David, who was not only anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king, but he killed Goliath in the famous battle of 1 Samuel 17, and then he became the chief musician for Saul to soothe Saul's nerves as he seemed to descend into mental illness. So as the jealousy grew, Saul ended up pursuing David to take his life. So David was on the run, actually, and he's maybe in his late 30s, maybe 28 years old. So we come to the beginning of 1 Samuel 25. We're talking about stress management and diplomacy and Abigail. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. A certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. Now, Maon was about seven miles south of Hebron. All of those places were south of Bethlehem and Jerusalem. The capital city at the time was actually Gibeah. It hadn't yet become Jerusalem because Saul was a Benjamite and lived in Gibeah, so he reigned from the town he had lived in. His name, and we're going back now to the reference of the rich man that was shearing sheep, his name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. He was a Calebite. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. By the way, the name Nabal means fool. So he sent ten young men and said to them, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it is sheep-sharing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them, and the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Now, you'll find out later It's not just that David and his men weren't thieves, and that's why nothing was missing. 
it's that they served as bodyguards and were actually a barrier between all the would-be predators and Nabal's men. Ask your own servants and they'll tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David. Your son David? Notice how he is talking to him here in a very friendly and hospitable way. They're both from the tribe of Judah. We read earlier that Nabal was a Calebite, and David is also from the tribe of Judah. And so he's speaking to him in a somewhat humble and friendly way. Nabal may have been a generation older than David. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal, or fool, this message in David's name. Then they waited. Nabal answered David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Oh my goodness, what an insult. So David has been anointed to be the next king of Israel, and this news has gotten out. We find later that it had gotten out even to Abigail and probably Nabal in this household. And instead of acknowledging this young man's marvelous victory with Goliath and his position in Saul's court as the chief musician and his anointing by the prophet Samuel, he's actually not just referring to him as a slave, but as a runaway slave. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? Wow, that was certainly kicking dirt in his face. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, each of you strap on your sword. So they did, and David strapped his on as well. So David had become angry enough to kill. David was a wonderful man with a heart for God. In fact, he was a man after God's own heart, we read in Scripture. But he was also a very emotional and passionate man. You can read about that passion in the Psalms. He gets angry. He gets very sad and depressed. He has these waves of emotion. And so when he is roundly insulted after being friendly and doing Nabal's men some good during the shearing season, he becomes extremely enraged. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. Okay, this is a reference to the fact that David had this band of men following him around all the time since he was on the run. It was almost like a group of vigilantes, like a militia. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over. 
and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Remember, we're talking about stressful situations, and I think this certainly qualifies. The whole estate and all of the people that live there, including Abigail, are now facing the anger of David and 600 armed men who have already taken a vow that they are going to kill them all. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sayas of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. You see how wealthy they were? She could immediately lay her hands on this much extra food and load it onto herd animals and get it out. And then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal. As she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her, and she met them. I can imagine that her heart was beating out of her chest, and she could feel it pounding. She must have been nervous and breathing fast, and she is going to try diplomacy for stress management. David had just said, It's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, Pardon your servant, my lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. So this is the wife of a very rich man, and she is referring to herself as your servant and to David as my Lord. So before she's ever even had a conversation with him or met him, she is reacting in a very humble way in this situation. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man Nabal. He's just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, you see, there she goes again, I didn't see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift, which your servant has brought to my Lord, be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. What, what is she talking about? Does she know something about his having been anointed by, prof, by the prophet Samuel? Because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, and she's referring here 
to King Saul, so she really was up on the news. She knew that David was on the run. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. And isn't that an interesting phrase? She must have been aware that he had been a shepherd, was really good with a sling, had killed a lion and a bear, and then had a famous victory over the Philistine Goliath. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, did you catch that? Has appointed him ruler over Israel, so she knew that he was the anointed one. My Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. Well, that certainly doesn't sound like someone who is angry enough to kill, does it? I think she just de-escalated the entire situation. Her words alone have begun to make a change. He goes on, May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with, your own, with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I've heard your words and granted your request. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. I think I can see the disappointment in her face and hear that long sigh of sadness when she comes in and there he is behaving once again like a fool. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. Sounds like he maybe had a heart attack or a stroke, doesn't it? About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He's kept his servant from doing wrong. Isn't that just what Abigail had said? And has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. And then David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel and said to Abigail, David has sent us to take you to become his wife. She bowed down with her face to the ground and said, I am your servant. Once again, referring to herself in the most humble of terms, and am ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and, attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became 
his wife. So we see here seven marvelous things that Abigail incorporated into her diplomacy that will work for us today when we're faced with stressful situations and need to be peacemakers. And the first of those seven things is humility. You know, Proverbs 29, 23 says, Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Back again to that Abigail referring to herself as your servant to David. In 1 Samuel 25, verses 24 to 41, you can count them. She refers to herself that way seven times. And then she refers to David as my Lord 15 times in verses 24 to 41. She was coming to him with an attitude completely the opposite of what some might have felt. She could have aligned herself with her husband. She could have come to him angry with her hands on her hips saying, what do you think you're doing? How dare you come after us with swords? We don't owe you any food. Why would you repay an insult with murder? That isn't equal. But instead, she humbled herself with her body posture, bowing with her face to the ground, and in her speech. The second of the seven things that she did to de-escalate this situation, to deal with the stress, to employ diplomacy, was to ask for an audience. In fact, when you go to verses, uh, verse 24 in particular, she said, let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. That reminds me of what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You might have thought that David would be unwilling to speak to her, but amazingly, he was open and he listened and he let her have her say. And in the same way, many times, if you are at odds with someone in your family or in your neighborhood or at work or in your church, you might do well to simply ask them if they would be willing to have a conversation with you. And if you come with a humble attitude, amazing things can be accomplished. The third of the seven things that she did to employ diplomacy was to explain to David why it benefited him not to kill Nabal and all of his people and household. You know, she didn't come to David and say, please don't kill us, we don't want to die. Instead, she said, first of all, in verse 26, the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. And then in verses 30 and 31, she said, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed. Well, David knew the word of God. He wrote 
Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, and practically every verse makes some reference to the Word of God. And David goes on and on about how much he loves God's Word. Well, in the Torah, Leviticus 19.18, it clearly says, don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so Abigail appeals to him, and when she says, if you don't mow us down, you won't have on your conscience the burden of needless bloodshed, surely his mind then hearkens back to the Leviticus law that says don't seek revenge or bear a grudge. Beautiful. Then, the fourth thing that she did to employ diplomacy to de-escalate this stressful situation was to take the blame herself. She didn't exactly say, this is all my fault, I caused this, because that wouldn't have been true. But she essentially made the whole thing her problem and her responsibility. And that reminds me of what Christ did for us on the cross. He took up our pain and bore our suffering, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. So David still realized that the culprit was Nabal, and Nabal was not apologizing, but he was no longer so willing to take revenge on Nabal because Nabal's wife was saying, let this be on me. Would you see this as my problem and allow me to handle it? The fifth of the seven things that Abigail did to employ diplomacy to fight the stress was to directly ask for pardon. She said to him, pardon your servant, in verse 23. And then in verse 28, she said, forgive your servant's presumption. I used to insist that my children apologize to each other when they were at odds, when they were very young. And they weren't too keen on that sometimes. And sometimes they wouldn't even make eye contact. They'd look down and they'd say, sorry. They didn't even put in the word I'm. They just said, sorry. Well, that's not as effective as looking someone in the eye and saying, would you please forgive me? Would you pardon me for what I have done? You know, back in Numbers 14, we read where God told Moses after Moses interceded for the people, I have forgiven them as you asked. So the Lord was angry with his people for their rebellion and their sin, and he told Moses that he was wont to destroy them, and Moses went to prayer for them and asked God to forgive them, and as a, an intercessor and as a go-between, he really effectively bridged the gap, and the Lord answered just because he was asked to. So asking pardon is very effective. And then the sixth of the seven things that Abigail did during this stressful time to employ diplomacy was to give a gift 
She said, let this gift be given to your men. Well, David had asked for sustenance in the first place, but she comes along with meat and figs and raisins and bread and wine, and it pacifies David. Almost reminds me of the cliche where the married couple are at odds and then the man tries to make up by bringing flowers. And I can imagine how if family members were at odds or neighbors were at odds, how it might help if you go and knock on the door and you say, I'm really sorry, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? And then you have in your arms a, a steaming uh, beautiful pan of fresh baked cinnamon rolls or something. Here, would you accept these as a peace offering? It just seems like it adds to the beauty of the apology. And if you see this as manipulative, she did not mean it that way. She was very frightened, and she was fighting for her life here. But she also genuinely respected David and wanted him to forgive that indiscretion that Nabal had done by being so insulting. And then finally, the seventh of the seven things that Abigail employed as diplomacy in this stressful situation was to ask him for favor. In verse 31, she says, And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. Well, she certainly didn't know that she was going to wind up a widow or that David was going to propose marriage and she was going to become the wife of a king in the future. But he remembered that and he answered her request. It reminds me back in Genesis 40, we have Joseph, the son of Jacob, who had been sold by his brothers into Egyptian slavery and then lied about and put in prison. And when he was in prison, he interpreted a dream for one of Pharaoh's employees. And when Pharaoh's employee was released from the prison, David said, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. He asked for favor. And although the man forgot for a while, at the right time when Pharaoh had a dream that needed to be interpreted, the man said to himself, well, what am I doing? I should have remembered before now. There's a man in the prison who can interpret dreams. And that particular asking for favor wound up being a catalyst for Joseph to become second in command to Pharaoh. So, bottom line, Proverbs 18.21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So, if your stress is coming from a conflict with someone in your circle and you need some relief, consider that diplomatic, humble, Christ-like words can often bring peace in stressful situations. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please pass it along and blessings to you.